Hello, I'm Mercedes. And I'm Tash, and you're listening to episode 32 of Chat Disney. Obviously, Halloween is almost around the corner, so we are going to be starting to mentally prepare by thinking about our top Disney villains. So we're going to be doing a run-through of our top five and also our very worst Disney villain. But before we get into that, let's have a little look at what's been happening in the world of Disney this week. So we got a pretty divisive announcement this week about the tram tour, the studio backlot tour in Walt Disney Studios in Paris. The Disney company have announced that the ride will be getting a bit of a facelift in the format of a cars overlay. Lots of people on Twitter are a little bit unsure about how this is going to play out. And for some fans, it sounds a little bit like a cheap way of refreshing a somewhat old derelict attraction. So watch this space for more information to come on that one. In other news, more Disney Plus announcements for you. This week, they released a list of everything that we can expect to find on the Disney Plus streaming service. Um, There was a couple of big things missing, but there's a lot of stuff that we kind of expected would be there. The most sort of talked about was the 90s series Gargoyles being on there. Um, A lot of excitement about that. But if you do want to see the full list, just look it up online and it will be be there. We still don't know when it is coming to the UK. February, I reckon. Mark mark my words. Okay. We'll see. Um, Really, really exciting bit of news. I'm genuinely so so excited to be able to share this with you and um, they have announced disney theatrical group have announced that they are going to be doing an international tour of beauty and the beast the musical once again um, i can only assume that this is off the back of the success of the live action recently we don't have any idea when this is going to be coming or which countries it's going to be coming to. Obviously, the show did run in the early 90s in London's West End, and it has toured internationally in more recent years too. I know for a fact it was in Germany, and I think it's been in parts of Asia too. So hopefully London will be included again this year. Um, but wherever you are in the world, you can rest assured that if you want to see that musical, it might cost you a plane ticket, but it is coming back to the stage. Yeah, I'm prepared to travel for that if Definitely. If it's not in London, but why won't? Why wouldn't it be in London? It wasn't in London last time it toured. Well, it's got to be this time. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> in controversial or not so controversial news, depending on your view, Elton John has come forward and said that he thinks that the Lion King live action is a big disappointment. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there that would agree with him. There is a full article about this um, if you do want to know more and his reasoning behind it. So do check it out. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with uh, Sir Elton there, but he, he seems to have a real is- issue with the music, which you can imagine. But yeah. for me, I think even the music is, yeah, yeah. You know our thoughts. And if you don't, then head back to a few episodes ago where we did a full movie review. Brace yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Happy birthday to The Little Mermaid. It turned 30 last week. Um, that terrifies me because it just makes me fear even more imminently that you and I are turning 30 soon, Tash. I mean, I'm next year, at least you've got another year on that. So. I have, yes, mm. yes. But yes, happy birthday to The Little Mermaid. Um, again, it just shows how classic Walt Disney animation is timeless. Um, that movie is still just as relatable to children today, although, you know, controversially, lots of celebrities have announced they don't want to show it to their children. But that's a whole other tangent of thought. So happy birthday, Little Mermaid. 
Heading over to a bit of Parks news again now. Um, Mini ears have seen a price increase this week. Actually, I don't know if the increase has happened this week, but I know that they've announced it this week. So originally they were $27.99, they've now gone up to $30, well $29.99, but by the time you add in tax, which is what you always pay when you're in America, they are gonna cost you more than $30, which if you're a UK listener, I think is around about 23, 24 pounds. It's so... probably, to be honest, with the uh, B word imminent Brexit, it's probably closer to 30 quid now. Ooh, like the pound and the dollar are pretty tight. Like yeah. when I was in the States, I just, like, whatever the dollar price was, I just told myself that that's what it was in pounds. So, yeah, be prepared to spend £30. Yes. What, what do you think about that? It's a lot of money it for is, a headband isn't it? with a pair of ears. I mean... I mean, I love ears. You know I collect yeah. them, and I still will because I'm a sucker. But it's a lot of money, isn't it? It is a lot of money, and I know. And again, I will still purchase pairs because I love them. And there's something about buying a new pair when you go to a, a new park or a new trip, but it is when I think like that's pretty close to 40 quid for for a pair of ears I think also for you and I yeah for you and I we're just thinking about a pair for ourselves when you imagine say you're a mother and you've got three daughters and that's potentially or even a son who wants mini ears it's potentially four or five pairs you've got to buy you know over a hundred pounds oh my god don't so let's move on swiftly away from that the disney's hotel cheyenne in disneyland paris um it's the western themed hotel for any of you that are familiar with that resort has just applied for an extra star the hotel currently has a two-star rating putting it neck and neck with the santa fe the cars themed offering in that resort it's now applying for a third star which will put it in line with sequoia lodge which I think if it gets approved and it does get the extra star means that the costs there will suddenly rock it. Um, so if you are a fan of that hotel and you would like to stay there before the cost dramatically increases, um, obviously, you know, nothing is set in stone at this point. It could get rejected, the extra star. But if you don't want to take your chances, now would be an excellent time to book a stay at Disneyland Paris's Hotel Cheyenne. And finally, after all that news, Disney have announced this week that they are using actress Gina Davis. Um, she is a big equality campaigner. She um, is the founder of the Gina Davis Institute, which developed a program called GDIQ, um, which basically analyzes scripts and picks out things that can be changed for gender and ethnic biases. So Disney have announced this week that they are going to be using this um, on their scripts to see what they can do to make their upcoming films, movies, series, whatever, what have you, um, more gender and ethnically pleasing. Yes, and for any of you that are unsure about what that means, you'll see that lots of companies do this with their job applications. Um, if they don't want a specific role to appear, appear heavily to male or females, if they want it to just be completely you know, unbiased, um, there are lots of tools and platforms and things that you can put job applications through, um, like a machine, and it will just take out any buzzwords. So scientists have proved that words like helpful make a job much more appealing to a woman than it is to a man. So it just takes out any of those kind of words that have agenda bias and connotations so don't worry you're not going to have you know scripts full of um you know ambiguous characters or anything like that if that's what you're thinking it means it just means that they'll ensure the language within the script um would appeal to a, an actor or an actress portraying the character if that makes sense yeah 
So that's about all that's been happening in the world of Disney this week. I say that's all. That was quite a lot of news. It was actually. It was. We're now going to move on to the main part of the episode, talking about our favourite Disney villains. Disney villains love them loathe them they are key and crucial parts in the Disney stories that we all know and love I think pretty much every Disney story has a villain almost in one way shape or form however it be so we thought with Halloween just around the corner we would dedicate this episode to talking about our very favorites so Mercedes why don't you start us off who have you got on number five so it was really difficult for me to comprise this list and not in the way that you might suspect I know that lots of Disney fans are huge advocates for the Disney villain franchise. It has its own kind of street parties and performances and shows and things in the Disney parks. But I don't like Disney villains and I really struggled to find five that I like, but I was able to do it and I do really love these characters. So number five, I have got Isma from The Emperor's New Groove. Now, some of our listeners may not know who Isma is. The Emperor's New Groove is a bit of a lesser-known Disney movie. Isma is, um, for anyone that's not familiar, a very flamboyant. She's almost like a drag queen. Um, a very central character to that narrative. Essentially, she wants to dethrone Emperor Kuzco because she believes him to be lazy and incompetent. Which. I'll be honest, Isma, I agree with you. He's the worst ruler. I think she has, you know, her motivation and her backstory. I think she has every right to question his leadership. And I, I do think her motives are, well, I like to think they're pure. But then, unfortunately, Isma, being a bit of a scientist and witch behind the scenes, um, decides to essentially drug Kuzco with a poison that turns him into a llama. And that's where we get that narrative from of Kuzco being a llama and battling you know as a as a as a llama um but I yeah why do I love her she's just fabulous um some of the lines you know pull the leather crunk that's like a really famous gif um all over the internet I think people that even aren't familiar with that movie know of Isma in some guise because she is such a big internet sensation she has like the longest eyelashes for days that you've ever seen she wears these massive flamboyant collars and for me she pays a bit of an homage to the classic Disney villains with these sweeping capes that were kind of missing from the 90s and noughties and she does she gives you a little bit of that essence and um, I think she's hilarious too. I completely agree with you I think she is very very underrated um, but then again I think we talked about this film when we talked about the experimental age and how it is somewhat overlooked for what I think are very good reasons um, but yeah I think as a character she is underrated and you're quite right he is a lazy arrogant so-and-so like I'm well on her side yeah she has every right I think to to want to challenge his authority and um I'm not sure that she is the correct choice to be a ruler and I'm glad that Kuzco got to have the journey he did and become a better person for it uh but yeah in terms of her intentions and things you go Isma so Tash who have you got as your fifth favorite Disney villain so as my fifth favorite Disney villain there's a mouthful um, I've got someone, he's my favourite because I think he is a very well-written character and it is Frollo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. 
I think Frollo, when you actually really look at him and look at his motivations, he is one of the most creepiest, emotionally manipulative, horrible characters. Prejudiced. Yeah, prejudiced. He's, He's horrible. I mean, when we talked about Disney songs and we spoke about Hellfire, how he is in that song when he's almost lusting over Esmeralda, it is... It's really quite dark and disturbing, almost. And just how he is with Quasimodo, you know, kind of manipulating into him, thinking that he's done him this great justice in saving him because his mother didn't want him because he was hideous. And, you know, he's kind of done this great thing in saving him. But actually, he's locked him up in a tower. He has no shame in telling Quasi exactly what he is. And yeah, I just think he's... As a villain, he's he's got the edge. He's not he's not got a nice side to him. Not the villains have a nice side, but some of them have like a comical side or like Isma. She's got this fabulous kind of almost like you say drag queen esque side. Whereas Frollo is just plain creepy. And also, I think what's really important to remember as well with his backstory: yes, he did save Quasimodo, but that came from a place of guilt. Yeah, because he's kind of told by um, the priest, you know, you you can you can abandon this poor body. He's actually about to drop him in a well if you <laughs> cast your mind back. Um, but yeah, the priest kind of comes in at that moment and says, "Oh yeah, by all means, you know, dispose of this this baby, but you will have God to answer to." So it's not from a place of um, compassion or or anything like that. It's a purely selfish um, motivation on Frollo's part to save Quasimodo. It's because he doesn't want to end up in hell. Yeah, it's ultimately um, to save himself, really, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, to save himself. And that's actually, maybe we should do a whole Hunchback of Notre Dame episode because there's some really interesting themes in there that we did kind of talk about a little bit in our Renaissance era. But there's a huge um, underline of religion there. Yeah. I mean, that song, Hellfire, and the moment that Frollo does ultimately meet his end, the guy gargoyle kind of turns into this um hell-like demon um so that and you know there's a lot of, of stuff in there in terms of putting him in your top five um the reason he's not on my list is just because i do i i get completely why you have put him there and i agree that he's a good character but for me when i think of a disney villain i do think of these really kind of extravagant outlandish characters which hopefully you'll get to see as we move forward in my list but i do think it's worth commenting on some of the kind of sometimes forgotten about characters that are just pure evil definitely definitely that's why he's on mine because he's more of a everyday man isn't he really yeah it's more frightening yeah it's more frightening (laughs) so Mercedes what's up next for you so not wanting to move too far away from the flamboyant arrogance of Disney villains I have got Gaston in fourth position and Gaston he needs no introduction he is of course the villain from Beauty and the Beast most recently played by Luke Evans in the live action um I why do I like Gaston? I don't like Gaston. I don't like any of these villains. But the reason he's one of my favourites is because he is comedy gold. And what's so incredible, um, we spoke a little bit last week about Disney's House of Mouse in our Bring Back episode. And I remember they always had Gaston featured within the audience. And he'd come and 
I don't know, someone would be having a crisis and he would appear and say Mickey was trying to fix a broken tap. Gaston would appear and say, no one fixes a tap like Gaston. And um, Minnie Mouse is trying to change a light bulb and he'd appear and say, no one fixes a light bulb like Gaston. And because of that parallel, and you see it a lot in the live action as well, I thought that that was his character like in the 1991 original classic. And when you watch it, it's kind of watered down. And basically what I'm trying to say is, because that character is so good and so strong and the subtlety of it that's in that 1991 classic is played so well that we actually do understand this person we have i'm not explaining myself very well here but we've evolved that character into a parody that we see in takes like you know and spin-offs like the house of mouse and in the live action that character is really stretched out and broadened even more you know he's walking past a shop and he kind of stops and looks at his reflection you don't get that in the original and um, but as i say the character is so good and so fully realized that you can parody it really well and i think for me that is the sign of a fantastic character yeah i completely agree with you i didn't realize how much I liked Gaston until Luke Evans' portrayal in the live action. Um, I mean, I don't like Gaston in the animated one. He's a good character, but I actually do like him. And there are moments in the live action where you do feel almost a little bit sorry for him, I think. Like when, in the beginning, when he really does, you know, he just wants to have dinner with Belle and he gets a bit of a sad look on her face, his face when she turns him down. Like, you do almost have a bit of a... Uh, I don't know, like, you're almost rooting for him a little bit. Like, yeah. something all clearly pushes him over the edge. But now it's really interesting that you say that because there's a really big difference in the live action in comparison to the animation. And that is the fact that they leave Maurice tied up in the forest. And I think that he, Gaston punches him as well. Yeah. And I remember being in the cinema and feeling really, really uncomfortable in that moment. And I believe that that's why they put that in because they needed, as you say, Luke Evans is a very charismatic, likable actor and he does portray Gaston excellently, but he can't be a likable character. You need to be happy when the beast pushes him from the tower and he, he dies. And for me, that moment when he punches Maurice in the face and they leave him tied up for dead in the forest, that was that moment where it was a sinisterness that made this character a little bit dark and I really do think they needed that because up until that point especially you know the Gaston song it's a classic how can you not you know it's surprising I like it as it's a bit of a knees up um <laughs> but how could you not fall in love with you know the the person behind the Gaston song it's just brilliant yeah definitely I completely agree with you and you make a very very good point there I think you are very spot on with that because I, in, in the early stages of that live action film, the relationship between LeFou and Gaston, I could I could watch that. That could be the whole film and I could watch that and, and enjoy it. Yeah. I love their relationship in that film much more than I do in the original animation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that you are right. I think that we, you know, we could be in danger of getting too attached to him. So yeah and it does it makes him it is shocking when he punches him because mm. you really realize that oh he is really that's really real yeah yeah that really bothered me in the i'm not used to kind of i don't think any of us as an audience are used to seeing you know such kind of outlandish physical violence in a disney movie in a cartoon it's a bit more kind of slapstick if there's physical violence but in a live action especially an old man I, I felt very uncomfortable so um yeah I think they needed the undertones but yes Gaston is my fourth favorite Disney villain Tash who is yours 
So next up, I have got Dr. Facilier from The Princess and the Frog, the shadow man himself. Um, I think Dr. Facilier is a great character. I think he's fully realised. I like that he's very different from any other villain in the fact that he doesn't really have a sidekick, but he's got his friends on the other side, his shadow people. Um, and he's got that kind of psychic shadow that is with him a lot and represents itself in different forms throughout the film. I mean, we see it as a snake at one point, um, it's a bit reminiscent of when Jafar turns into the snake. Snakes are just bad all round. But um, yeah, I, I think that whole thing adds another depth to the character. And I think there is something so sinister and creepy about the whole black magic and, and voodoo thing um, that Disney have never really touched upon or done before. So I think it fits in really, really well with this film. And yeah, I just think he's, again, he's 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 a showman, really. He's very charismatic, um, but then he's got this real horrible sadistic side and, you know, his motives, he's... Uh, again, he's he's really creepy because he could be a real person. I mean, apart from the friends on the other side, maybe. But, like, the whole black magic voodoo, you know, a lot of people do believe in that. And, and he, you know, on the face of it, he does just look like a normal, a normal man. But, yeah, and I think that sort of his big debut, you know, Friends on the Other Side, that song, I love kind of... I mean, I love a good villain song anyway. It was actually funny when we were kind of going through this list similar to you I I like villains as a collective but when I actually look at the individuals I found it very hard to actually pick certain individuals out but then when I started thinking about the songs I love a good villain song and I think Friends on the Other Side is a great song in terms of how it kind of carries the narrative along I think visually it's spectacular it's very over the top um and yeah it's I think it just does a lot a lot for this film and yeah that's why he's on my list yeah I, I would agree with you there about the musical I mean the minute that kind of doom 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 starts yeah. in Disneyland on the castle and all the turrets start kind of going up and down almost like an organ I love and um, the only thing that I would challenge you with with Dr. Facilier is and perhaps I mean I've watched The Princess and the Frog a ton of times but maybe I'm just not remembering it correctly what is his motive so his motive is that he has been he has been wronged. I think that he used to be a royal um, or he had families that were royals and then he's been wronged. And so he wants to take, obviously, you know, he's it's wealth for him. He wants money and he wants power. And so by taking Prince Naveen, he can then kind of live vicariously, not vicariously through him, but what's the... The guy, the hang on, oh, the, guy? the guy, the yeah, like um, yeah. So by yes. kind of conning him into becoming the V, he can then kind of live off his coattails. Now, see, I don't see it that way at all. How do you see it? I saw it as though he owed the other side a life. See, that also comes into play a lot. So when he takes stuff from yeah, kind of humans, he gives it back. But I don't know if that's kind of going back to some kind of other underlying story that you could probably look way more into. Um because yeah, that is definitely hinted upon quite a few times. I think that's that's yeah. what I always thought and the fact that we think completely different things and this is a Disney movie is a massive issue for me. It's not clear. Like I, I read it as he owes the devil, as it were, or the other side, a life. Um, I feel like 
there's another movie that's a bit... Well, Game of Thrones is a bit like this. When Arya takes a face, yeah. she kind of has to pay yeah. a face for a face. I see it kind of like that. Like, he owes the other side his life. Like, he's cheated death or something. And he needs to give them a life or money or something. I don't know. But the fact that I don't know... Okay, interesting. ...is, is a problem. Yeah. I want to watch it now, re-watch it now, because I haven't seen it for a few years, and kind of... Because at the end... See it from both sides. Well, at the end, they take him, don't they? They do take Which him. Which makes me think he owed them his life. Yeah, because I think it's it comes it's meant to come across as he's kind of, you know, in charge. But I think you are right. Now, you mentioned it. I think maybe he does owe them I don't think he's royal. So. I know he makes that, lo- that, that joke, that line, when he says, um, I'm a royal on my mother's side. But I thought that was meant to be like a joke. I don't I don't think he's a royal. Maybe not. I don't know. And that's my problem. I feel like his motivation is too ambiguous. And for me, the movie could go along nicely with any other villain in that role. Like, you could have Charlotte's dad being a villain. Like, the only purpose he serves is they needed to somehow turn Naveen into a frog. And that's my issue. Yeah. It's a plot hole. I just... I like the whole... I mean, I, I can see what you're saying. I think maybe we need to look at this and see if there is kind of a clearer story behind it. But I like the whole thing that it is quite original and it is with, you know, friends on the other side, the dark magic. I like that whole thing. I think it's very intriguing, very mysterious. Maybe but, uh, it's some intentionally yeah, maybe it is mysterious. Intentional. Who, who knows? knows? Who knows? So, Mercedes, what is on number three or who is at number three for you? I have got a villain who does not come from a classic Disney movie in my third position. And I'm not going to say what franchise just yet because it will give it away. But all I will say is you are not going to be happy, Tash. Enlighten me. (laughs) It's Darth Vader. Now, why is Darth Vader on this list? And anyone that knows me is probably scratching their head at home because it's not like I'm a huge Darth Vader fan or anything like that, or even a huge Star Wars fan. I like Star Wars. But for me, you do not get more classic villain than Darth Vader. From the John Williams music, you know, Darth Vader's got his own theme tune and you ask anyone listening to this podcast whether they're a star wars fan or not and i bet they can hum it to you tash can you my point precisely right so this girl's watched like a bit of new hope and even she can sing it on command he is so iconic and it also doesn't you know hurt that i love anakin skywalker played by that guy, I've forgotten his name, Christian something, it's really going to annoy me now, Um, in the first three movies. He's so handsome, and I know he's a terrible actor, and he doesn't portray the character that well, but he's so handsome, and he falls in love with Natalie Portman, and I'm here for that love story. And then he becomes Darth Vader, the most iconic villain of all time. Um, I think that the James Earl Jones vocals, yes, we love Mufasa, and Mufasa's an iconic character, but that voice, that depth and kind of gravelliness to it just lends itself to a villain to me. I mean, it's even just that breathing. Yeah, the breathing, like, it's such an iconic villain. There's no other villain to me, Disney or not, that has got the same gravitas as someone like a Darth Vader. Like, the the, the breathing, the James Earl Jones voice, the, the outfit, the mask, it's terrifying. Um, and I think this is something that... Um, 
with the new movies and maybe as the final one comes out this Christmas we'll learn a little bit more about why they did this but for me that's why Kylo Ren falls a little bit too short because he takes his helmet off quite quickly into that first um, trilogy movie and you're met with a sort of petulant teenage boy which perhaps was their intent but for me it kind of makes that character less intimidating you don't see Darth Vader's face until the final final moment of that third movie when he's dying what you actually see it I thought you never saw it you do see it yeah he takes his helmet off at the end when he's dying but I mean you've got to go three whole kind of six hours essentially of material until you see that and it is a very quick snapshot obviously if you watch the prequel movies first you've seen Anakin so you know it's a human being inside the costume anyway a very handsome human being um but that's all I've got to say about Darth Vader um you know he's got an army of stormtroopers again really iconic terrifying sidekicks um that are you know really fearsome unique characters in their own right and the Death Star as well I mean you can't get more iconic than the Death Star he's just brilliant love him yeah I mean obviously I can't comment too much on um, Darth Vader but yeah I, I completely see why he's on your list I do think he is a very classic villain that anyone regardless of whether you you've ever seen a Star Wars film or ever even been to, been into Disney or Star Wars whatever I think that everyone can tell you who Darth Vader is everyone can pick him out of a lineup oh definitely and also what I find quite interesting as well and I could be wrong here because I didn't grow up in a household that was really into Star Wars but from what I see around Disney parks you're far more likely to see a kid dressed as Darth Vader than they are like Luke Skywalker and like there's always a massive line at the Darth Vader meet and greet so I feel like he has a huge following definitely yeah Yeah. definitely so that is why Darth Vader is third Tash who have you given your bronze medal to my bronze medal goes to an old classic. It is Captain Hook. The codfish himself. The codfish himself. You are quite right there. Um, I have a real soft spot for good old Hook. Um, I love that he's a bit of a pantomime villain. He, underneath it all, I mean, I think he's just a bit of a coward, as you say, really. He is the codfish. Um, I like the dynamic a lot between Hook and Smee. Again, Kind of what I was saying about Gaston and LeFou, I could watch Hook and Smee for hours. The other thing with Hook is, this might be a little bit controversial, I really don't like the character of Peter Pan. I find him really irritating. I find him really cocky and arrogant. And I'm actually way more on Hook's side than I am Peter's. I don't know if we've discussed this recently, but I, I may have read this even in an article somewhere. Didn't Peter Pan, isn't the story that he fed Hook's hand to the crocodile? Yeah, so he's actually wronged Hook, so you can totally see why. That's dark. It is dark, I know. And Hook, I mean, he doesn't have a lot going for him, really. I mean, his, his, you know, his only negative bad thing is that he wants to get rid of Peter. And if that is the case, then... I mean, there's a there's a motive behind that without question. And you know, Peter, that's a good motive. Peter would get rid of Hook too as well. Exactly. So what exactly, makes yeah. yeah. So why? I guess why it's is everything pre- Yeah, that's true. And it's it's you know he's he's the protagonist, isn't it? And Hook's presented as the bad guy, but you do feel a little bit sorry for Hook. I think. I mean, he is constantly tormented by the crocodile, and it's almost quite comical sometimes. Some of those scenes. And then, you know, he can't fly, so Peter's got one up on him there. (laughs) So, 
I don't know. I I feel a bit. I feel a bit bad for him, really. I think he's a bit misunderstood. I feel really sorry for him. Like I feel really stressed out for him. That scene when he's running around, everything's going wrong. <laughs> he gets that skull and crossbones flag on him. Yes, he's trying to escape. I I, I don't yeah. know what you mean. There's a like. I feel. I feel like if you think about any of the Disney villains, if he caught you. I feel I feel like it would be quite entertaining at the same time. I feel like you'd you could eat you'd be it would be easier to escape from him than some others because you just run circles around him a little bit. I think you could fool him quite easily. Yeah, until he makes you like walk the plank and there's a crocodile. <laughs> like he makes Wendy walk the plank and she's done nothing wrong. Like she is a criminal by association and she doesn't know any better, you know? That's true, but she's also annoying, so I'm not really that bothered. <laughs> Fair point, fair point. <laughs> okay, moving on before I continue talking about how much I love Hook Mercedes. Who is in silver for you? So in second place, I've got a character, again, this isn't from a Disney classic movie. Um, I've got a character, and as soon as I say the movie, you'll know who it is. It is from Tim Burton's masterpiece, if you like it, and horror, if you don't, The Nightmare Before Christmas. And the character I've got in second position is, of course, Oogie boogie now tash i know you don't like oogie boogie i hate oogie boogie do you like the nightmare before christmas the nightmare before christmas is a real interesting one for me because i'm really intrigued by it and i'm really intrigued by tim burton but when i watch it i actually don't think i do really like it i find it very it's not a film i'm too familiar with apart from obviously the iconic bits of it and the characters but it's I find it quite disturbing and it's not the sort of film that I would ever sit down to watch on my own I find it quite unnerving and it's not I like a Disney film to be comforting and nostalgic and the nightmare before Christmas does not do that for me it makes me feel quite on edge if anything I see I think and I'm not going to talk about the nightmare before Christmas too much today because we have got our big spooky Halloween episode planned for you next week which will of course feature Jack and friends I'm sure um but for me it is nostalgic because I watched it loads as a kid I think the first time I watched it was with you yeah I probably made you watch it I was obsessed with it when I was a kid and um, Tash and I had a friend called Laura when we were growing up and I'm still friends with Laura but um she showed it to me when I was about seven and I was quite impressionable at that age and I think because it was a bit edgy and it was a bit dark I like wanted to like it it's a bit like the labyrinth thing yeah um and for me, I literally can recite it verbatim, word for word. I watch it every single year at Halloween and again in November and then again in Christmas. I don't know why. It's become a bit of a tradition. I absolutely love it. And for me, a real key to that is Oogie Boogie. Um, Tash has mentioned a lot today about villains singing and villain songs. And the Oogie Boogie song for me is excellent i love it when he like becomes really jazzy and soulful and he's singing about the da- the the roll of the dice and the whatever and you've got the, the oogie boogie song Ooh, the skeletons are like the chorus i think oogie boogie's hilarious and i just it's a similar sort of vein to dr facilier so you know when Dr. Facilier says, don't you disrespect me, I can almost hear Oogie Boogie say that. Mm-hmm. Like, they've got that same kind of edgy, charismatic, they want to, like, gamble with you, they want to take a bet, they're really into making deals and that kind of stuff. I think he's a really playful character. 
Um, and again, I feel quite sorry for Oogie Boogie because he's done absolutely nothing wrong. He lives in Halloween Town, for God's sake. He's meant to be a terrifying character. They're all meant to be spooky characters. It's Jack that goes off on this quest of enlightenment. You know, he's done nothing wrong. Yeah, I guess he's just being true to himself as a villain, isn't he, really? They're and like, that's to, what they're all meant to yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, you know, Santa gets captured. He doesn't capture Santa. He's given Santa to torture. He doesn't do the capturing or anything like that. So you go ahead, Oogie Boogie. I mean, he can't You see his end and it unravels quite spectacularly. Um, but, yeah, from my perspective, Oogie Boogie, good old classic villain. Love the Oogie Boogie song. He's just being a good citizen of Halloween Town. Yeah, it's just, I mean, even thinking about that film, it does give me the creeps. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it before our Halloween episode. I keep saying to myself, I'm going to watch I was vowed to myself I was going to watch it last Halloween or last Christmas, and I didn't. So I'm going to do it this year. But yeah, it just, it sets me on edge. I do this thing every year, and I tweeted about this recently. So if you're following me on Twitter, you may have even seen this. Every single year in October, I'm like, get the pumpkins out, put all my little decorations around the house, sit down, light the candles, watch The Nightmare Before Christmas. And as soon as Jack Skellington goes off into the forest and finds the Christmas tree door and opens the big brass knob, I think, oh, you idiot, this is a Christmas movie. Then it gets to November and I'm like, I can't possibly watch a Christmas movie about Halloween in December because it will feel too Halloween-y. So then I watch it again in November because it kind of bridges that gap. And then it gets to Christmas. I'm like, oh, but it's Christmas. So I watch it three times a year. Well, but for all intents and purposes, I believe it's a Christmas movie. I mean, it, it opens on Halloween. I'd class it as a Christmas movie. And then movie. it's like the build up yeah. to Christmas. I think that's why I don't like it. I, I think, as you say, it is a Christmas movie, but for me, it's too creepy for a Christmas movie. Yeah. And I think that's also why exactly. I don't like it. It's a November movie. It's your birthday. Maybe it could be your birthday no. movie. <laughs> no. No. Please. So moving on to second position, who have you got for us, Tash? So I've got a very, very iconic villain here. I think she's almost got a bit of, of a cult following and it is Ursula the Sea Witch from The Little Mermaid. Um, no surprises really being that Ariel is probably my first or second favourite prin- princess. The Little Mermaid is probably my favourite Disney film. Obviously, Ursula was going to be up there somewhere. Um, Again, it goes back to that thing that you were saying about these villains being really over the top and flamboyant in that you can't get much more flamboyant and over the top than Ursula. I mean, she is based on a drag queen, um, Divine, who is a very, very famous drag queen. I'm not sure when... Um, it was in the, the like 70s and 80s and yeah. I think on the New York drag scene which obviously um, anyone that's into drag or follows drag in any form um, will know that the New York drag scene is kind of the birth of drag really yeah so, definitely yeah. but yeah she's very very flamboyant she's very fabulous arguably um, and that's kind of why why I love her um, one of my favourite villain songs, or one of my favourite songs, is Poor Unfortunate Souls. Um, I was thinking about it, and I don't know why I didn't put it in my top ten. I think the way that Pat Carroll, who voices Ursula, sings that, she sings it with so much passion. And I love that it kind of starts off, and it's very kind of deep and soulful, and then it builds and builds, and then till the end, when she's kind of almost getting what she wants, she's getting Ariel to sign on the dotted line. Her voice is almost breaking and she's shouting and then you've got the whole bit with the spell and 
oh, I just, I love that song. I just think that, yeah, it almost gives me chills that song. I think that she delivers that so, so well. Um, yeah, and she is kind of, almost she presents herself, she's almost like this fabulous grandmother type person you know she lures Ariel in at the promise of giving her a a better life and you know educates her on what you know she thinks you know a woman is and she's this very curvaceous womanly villain and then completely screws Ariel over basically um yeah and I think as as villains go it's a pretty harsh thing to do and then we've got the other side to her as well so we've got her transformation into Vanessa when she completely kind of hypnotizes and tricks Prince Eric into falling for her and getting married and I think that just kind of gives another depth to the character to see what she is really capable of yeah I would agree with you I kind of for me um as we said at the beginning of the episode there is this real big following and love of the Disney villain franchise and I do think that Ursula is quite centric to that um, I myself am not really into Disney villains so for me the likes of Ursula and Maleficent kind of fall a little bit short however what you said about Vanessa I completely agree with I think that's a really clever twist and we don't see anything like that really with any of the other Disney villains where they're able to fool everyone around them by portraying themselves as something different and I do think that that is a really really um valid point yeah i think the only time we really see that is in snow white isn't it with the the wicked queen and what i don't understand with that is she turns into a hideous hag to try and get snow white like wouldn't you turn yourself into a kind bumbling yeah, old lady this actually makes no like, sense like i'm it should a be beautiful queen <laughs> i'm gonna turn myself into the most hideous old woman i can think of with long straggly gray hair i'm gonna to make myself trust, look like a witch yeah to gain trust yeah. that makes no sense but there we are and um, before we deep dive into our top disney villains we are going to do a couple of honorable mentions one each of a Disney villain that we just really don't like. So I'll kick us off. Um, my, well, I don't know if it's my least favourite Disney villain, um, but certainly a Disney villain that I really abhor is Prince Hans from Frozen. Um, now, in terms of kind of evil nature and things like that, I mean, he doesn't go around turning anyone into a llama. He's certainly not trying to marry Prince Eric under a hypnosis or anything like that. But that is what makes him so terrifying to me. He is your everyday, insert rude word, boy. Um, He's completely screwing on her over. He's only in it for the crown. And there are real people like that out there in the world. Um, Women and men that, you know, force, or force, I don't mean force, he doesn't force anything, but fool uh, people into falling in love with them when they have ulterior motives. And for me, that's what's really frightening. The fact that he wants to kind of um, pit sister against sister and create this real division between Elsa and Anna, I really find unsettling too. Especially as he comes from this large brotherhood, um, you know, he should be wanting to unify the sisters and he completely disrupts the flow of Arendelle and um well actually no he doesn't he kind of supports Arendelle and helps them with warm blankets in the castle but again that's that annoys me more he's tricking the citizens of Arendelle into thinking he's this loving Prince Hans um when in reality he wants to murder both the queen and the the princess the heir to the throne and take it all for himself and um I hate that yeah I know what you mean just very quickly I think that there is something to be said about these villains who could be real life people rather than someone like Ursula who is quite clearly a fictitious made up character whereas somewhere like Prince Hans we've all met Hans 
We've all met Hans. Who is this Hans? <laughs> That's my favourite line of that movie. Tash, who's your worst Disney villain? My absolute worst Disney villain, kind of in a similar vein as being a real-to-life character, is Stromboli from Pinocchio. I mean... He's probably the most briefest Disney character. I think he's in that film for about five minutes, let's be fair. But I think he is absolutely terrifying. I mean, I think kind of the whole underlying story with kind of, you know, it's it's child abduction and then child labour, essentially, for his own personal greed. And I just think, oh, just the way he's presented and everything, he literally gives me the creep so much. I... I actually watched Pinocchio, I think it was about a month ago now, and I had to actually turn it off for that bit because I was like, no, this is actually quite disturbing. I don't disagree with you, but the character from Pinocchio that I find most unsettling, and I don't even know the name of this character, I think they may just be called like the coachman or something, is the guy that takes all of the young boys to Pleasure Island. He has like a red coat and grey hair, and he knows they're going to turn into donkeys. I mean, what kind of person does? Yeah, he is terrifying as well. I was thinking about him when we did this list, actually. But yeah, it's terrifying. Is out to get someone. There we go. So there's just a little snippet of some of our least favourite villains. And do watch this space because uh, it's not out of the realms of possibility that Tash and I may do a worst Disney villains list at some point in the future. Not sure when that is, but I'm pretty sure it will come. (laughs) So we do like talking about our worst. (laughs) Our worst is our favourite thing. So drum roll, please. Mercedes, who is number one for you? So for those of you that know me, this will not come as a surprise. I think I've probably spoken about my love of this character on the podcast before. In first position, I have got Hades from Hercules, the god of the underworld. He is hilarious. The comedy. I haven't been this choked up since I got a hunk of masaka stuck in my throat. And, you know, I haven't seen this much love in a room. No, wait, he didn't say that. Hermes said that. But you get the point. Maybe it's just really clever writing and wordplay. Um, He's hilarious. I love the relationship between him and Pain and Panic and their absolute fear of him, even though he's kind of this buffoon. But then, as you know, he's really sinister. I mean, he intends for the hydra to kill hercules that's his nephew like it's really dark and for what just so that he can take over mount olympus and destroy athens essentially with the titans um and again you know zeus is his brother there should be brotherly love but yeah i just think hades is very funny i love the moment when pegasus blows out his hair he's got some excellent one-liners um i actually laugh out loud when i watch hercules and hades makes an appearance even small things like how he's kind of sips the martini out of the glass and then sucks a worm out of it like and how he'll i don't know like the way he is with those three old witches when he hands them the eyeball and picks the hair off it's it's so comedic and disgusting at the same time and um i think that's brilliantly brilliantly done yeah i think that's something that disney haven't really done anywhere else where they've made a villain very comedic and also i wouldn't really want them to because i feel like that's what makes hades really likable and yeah and and a favorite i mean i deliberately didn't put him in my list because i knew that he would be in yours because i know you love him that is a true friendship right there my only um negative hades comment is the face character or fur character or whatever kind of character it is that you can meet at disney parks it is terrifying oh my god it's horrible horrible the teeth oh god it is it's just the face doesn't move yeah absolutely horrific 
So, Tash, who is your favourite Disney villain of all time? I've actually forgotten. So, my favourite <laughs> Disney villain um, is not one that was actually an obvious choice to me, but when I was looking through, I was like, I actually really enjoy watching this character. And it is Mother Gothel from Tangled. Um, I love Mother Gothel. I think there is so much depth to that character. And I think she is severely overlooked and underrated. Um, I think she's great for the storyline. She's this horrible manipulative mother who's you know tricked Rapunzel into thinking that she's her daughter and she's kept her in this tower for her own good you know the world is not safe but really it's for her own personal selfish gain um which is actually a terrifying situation to be in you know again it goes back to that thing about you know keeping people locked away and and stuff which is stuff that does unfortunately happen and I think that she is because she comes across as very sweet and and loving almost that kind of makes her all the more terrifying um but yeah she's got I don't know I mean I think the thing with her as well is I think she is really a psychopath in the sense that I do genuinely believe that she does have a love for Rapunzel I mean she could have locked her down in some dingy dungeon somewhere with no light nowhere she would ever be found and literally locked her up and given her bread and water but instead she's given her this tower with a nice view I'm not justifying it but Rapunzel up there wants for nothing really I mean she can do what she wants all day she is prepared to trek three days to get Rapunzel these paints and there's a line in it where where she is going off on that quest and Rapunzel sort of says to her like I love you and she says I love you most and she says it so genuinely I do really think that she does have a love for her I think it's just her own psychotic selfish needs that kind of make her overlook that now you've missed a key point there she calls her my flower she doesn't love rapunzel she loves the flower and rapunzel yeah. is the flower i, I guess yeah she I doesn't guess love her. right there the but... minute rapunzel's hair's cut off she that's it she becomes demonic almost. that's true but then it does go back to the thing of why doesn't she just lock her up and just because she a terrible life because then she would try and escape she needs to nurture her to build trust maybe so maybe you're when right she yeah as a woman i don't think there's any love there i think that there's a love for the flower yeah you could be right um you know she she loves brushing rapunzel's hair doesn't she because yeah it's the flower and um no there's no yeah love i've not there. really looked at it that way but you could be you could be quite right there but yeah, I just think the way that she manipulates Rapunzel is, is very clever. I mean, she is a very, very intelligent woman. I mean, even when she gets the two brothers to sort of work for her, she's a very strong-willed, she knows exactly what she wants. Um, yeah, I, I think she is very, very overlooked. I don't like Mother Gothel at all, and I hate that Mother Knows Best song. I, Actually, that was it. the only thing I was going to say. That song does drive me mad. Right. I think it's really irritating. It's a really bad yeah. song, really bad Um I, yeah i'm surprised i didn't put that on my worst disney list song now um, but as i probably said in the episode back then ask me my favorites and worst of something and you'll get a different answer every day same uh but yes so that is it that's our top five disney villains and a terrible disney villain that we both hate for good measure too um, as we said this episode was really to get you in the mood for our spooky halloween extravaganza yes exactly all of that is to come next week um it is october and we were feeling particularly spooky we were today um but we are not done yet we're going to move on to our final segment of the episode this is a brand new feature um that we have put in place especially for you guys it is a q and a what do you know 
So we've been asking you guys over the last week um, if you've got any questions for us about Disney, the podcast, or just life in general. And we've picked out two that we thought were particularly good questions. Um, So Tash, I'm going to read you the first question. We're both going to answer each question. Um, This one came from Laura Yasmin on Instagram. And she asked, what are your thoughts on the Tinkerbell and Fairies franchise? I mean, I have to be honest with you, I don't really have a strong opinion on this. Um, I've not seen any of these films, so I can't comment on them, you know, as films narratively, if I think they're good or bad or in terms of characters. Um, But obviously, to me, as someone who's not familiar with it, it seems like it is just, you know, another kind of money-making marketing thing to kind of obviously... uh, Obviously, Tinkerbell is a very, very loved character. She's a very iconic character, and it seems like it's kind of an easy way to make a buck or two from her yeah I think for me I do know a lot about the Tinkerbell and Fairy series because my sister as I've mentioned many times on this podcast is considerably younger than me and she was at the perfect age when all of that came out I love the concept of Pixie Hollow I love that Tink goes there and she doesn't obtain any of the sort of traditional fairy Um, skills she's not a water fairy she's not a flower fairy she's not a light fairy she becomes a tinker hence the name tinkerbell and she you know is very dissatisfied with that but I I love that as a concept I love that we get to meet Rosetta, Iridessa, Silvermist all of the different fairies and each of their different abilities and how they're assigned colours and it ties in nicely with the green for Tinkerbell it all ties up nicely and neatly and it does feel like it was always meant to be that way however I will not rest until I know two things first of all how does she come to be in Peter's company I need to understand that and second of all when did she get a complete personality change because we see her in the Peter Pan movies as this very feisty, um, stubborn character who also can't speak. Um, when does she lose her voice? And also her um, love of life. She's a really outgoing, enthusiastic kid in the fairy franchise who's always kind of getting stuck in and come on guys and that is not the Tinkerbell that we see in the Peter Pan movie so that's my only issue really with that franchise but as a franchise as a concept I actually really like it I think it's nice for little kids I think the meet and greet with the five different fairies and Terence and all the other characters they're bringing out now is fine it's not hurting anyone but there's a disconnect for me yeah definitely cool see I can see where you're coming from on that and yeah as I say I haven't really got a close affiliation with it, but everything that you're saying makes sense and it does seem to be a big structural error that she is two very, very different characters. Massively so. Um, And then the final question um, that we wanted to share with you guys, really lovely question that we got in from Chris Vint on Twitter. He asked, what our favourite moment or our best moment has been for us both on the podcast? So Tash, do you want to kick off with that one? Oh, that is a lovely question. Um, I think I've got got several. I mean, I think in terms of sort of the podcast day to day, I mean, week to week, like in terms of segments and things like I love when we do Ohana like I always find it so interesting chatting to people and finding out their answers and also like it it kind of you know reminds you of that connect that Disney does bring between people so I really like that but I think on the whole I think just kind of getting to know the Disney podcast community and even the Disney community more and the podcast community more in general and how supportive um everyone has been and 
yeah it's just it's a nice place to be I think yeah I completely agree with you I think for me the best moment was when we started to get reviews and tweets and messages from people outside of our network that had just stumbled across the podcast for whatever reason had given it a listen and genuinely fallen in love with it and when we get great comments about you know people agreeing with our opinions or people saying how well structured they think the podcast is or just how enjoyable it is that really brightens my day yeah Um, that's what we set out to do it is definitely and I think also as well I think every time we get to another 10 so it was at 10 20 30 when we're like I can't believe we're on our 30th episode and I remember when we first I mean you asked me if I wanted to start a Disney podcast and we first sat around your kitchen table discussing it and we came up with about five episodes worth of content and then it was like okay well what are we going to do after that but every week we've managed to come up with something and and just we love doing it as well yeah. and it's uh, yeah it's, the whole process has been really really rewarding and nice actually yeah and better than I think we ever predicted it would be absolutely yeah and we do have ambitions and we do have goals um, and we really thank all of you for supporting us in that um but yeah I think as Tash said the most integral and important thing for us is that it's fun for us and it's enjoyable for you our listeners definitely yeah so some really interesting great questions there if you do have any questions for Tash and I please do get in touch our Twitter is at chat Disney UK and our Instagram is at chat Disney please join us next week for our big spooky Halloween extravaganza it is the end of October um get your pumpkins out put on the nightmare before Christmas or hocus pocus and join us next Monday morning for lots of Halloween goodness bye for now see you then thank you goodbye now goodbye goodbye thank you goodbye